0: Hi, everyone, and happy Sabbath. It's my first time speaking in front of a camera, so this may be a little bit awkward for me, but... Bear with me and hopefully everything will be okay. Um, I just want to thank Roy and Jinha for inviting me. This, they've got a really awesome setup here and, um, yeah, it's made it really easy for me as a guest speaker to just come and um, they've got everything set up. So, yeah, it's wonderful. And hope you guys are all staying safe and staying warm um, and hopefully we can meet again in person, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Um, Today we're going to be looking at a story found in the Gospel of Luke, but before we do that, I invite you to um, close your eyes as we just ask for the Holy Spirit's blessing. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for the Sabbath. Um, As we open your word, may you open our hearts to be receptive to what you would have us learn and apply in our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you've ever been to the state of Utah in the United States, you will know that it's famous for its canyons. It's home of Zion National Park, Canyonlands National Park. This place is basically known for its vast rock formations which glow a deep red. It's a beautiful place. But at night, if you're alone, it can be a cold and frightening place particularly if you find yourself trapped inside one of the deeper vines that split the sandstone monoliths in two. It would be dark and difficult for anyone to hear you during the day, but in the dark, a cry for help would only be met with silence. Silence. In the spring of 2003, 28-year-old adventurer Aaron Ralston was canyoning and hiking alone in the remote Blue John Canyon when he slipped and fell down a chasm, in the process dislodging a 360-kilogram boulder, which crushed his arm and trapped his hand. He's actually he's an adventurer and a mountaineer, and he likes doing things... On the fly, and he actually didn't tell anyone where he was going, so no one knew he was there. He knew that if he wanted to get out alive, it was going to be up to him to rescue himself. The boulder was crushing his arm so tightly that everything up to his fingertips was numb. And on day three, after three days of being trapped and trying to wedge his arm out, after getting more and more hungry because by this time he had ran out of food, he had run out of water. He knew that the only way to get out alive was to amputate his arm. He had a multi-tool with him, which a lot of these adventurous people do. And for the next two days, he tried various measures of trying to amputate his arm off so he could get cut, so he could come out, but nothing was working. And then after five and a half days in the canyon, he was out of water. He was delirious, exhausted, cold, hallucinating, Aaron had an epiphany. He realized that he could amputate his arm if he could snap his forearm in two. And so he decided to do that. He used the weight of the boulder and was flicking his arm back to and fro, and he was eventually able to snap his arm. And then from that, he used his multi-tool, sword through his arm, and he did it successfully before descending down a 20-meter wall with one hand. He was eventually discovered. He walked out of the canyon and was eventually discovered by a European family on a camping trip, and they reported him to authorities, and six hours after his self-amputation, the authorities found him, took him to hospital. He was found just in time. Aaron was on the brink of death from blood loss. This story has Aaron's story has since been made into a movie, 127 hours, and I think since the movie, he's actually written a biography as well. It's a really kind of gruesome, but also awe-inspiring story just about determination. You see, Aaron was determined not to die. He did everything he could to stay alive, even if that meant he had to amputate a part of his body. Determined people do crazy things. I mean, if you're really determined... You will do whatever it takes to make sure you'll, you'll do that thing that you've set out to do. Today, we're going to look at a story which is found in three of the four Gospels. And this story is about a desperate man who had some determined friends. You open your Bibles to Mark 2, verses 1 and 2. I've also got it on the screen. Mark 2, verses 1 and 2. And again, he, being Jesus... Entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even at, near the door. And he preached the word to them. You see, when Jesus showed up, nobody could get in the door. Archaeologists have dug up houses in Capernaum and found that the largest homes could get about 50 people in them. And they weren't like the houses we have today, where there's quite a few rooms and everything's done in different rooms, but all of the houses or most of the houses had just one or two rooms where everything took place. Reading on verse three and four, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Have you ever tried to carry someone who's been paralyzed? So since this whole lockdown has started, um, it's been 51 days. I am counting because it's been 51 days since I haven't gone to the gym and, um, because I haven't gone to the gym, I've I, I bought some gym equipment and I borrowed I've I've loaned some gym equipment out from one of my gyms, and so I, can't, I have like a little gym setup, and I'm able to do something at home. Um, and I've been doing some online workouts, and I found this kettlebell workout. It went for about 45 minutes, and so I was kind of following on the screen. But you haven't got anyone to tell you if you're doing it right or wrong. And I did something quite wrong, and I did my back. Um And it was actually really painful. And for the next two days, I actually couldn't sleep because this pain was really bad. And it wasn't bad for most of the time. I was still able to run, but when I would lay down and if I would move a certain way, just this sharp radiating pain would go down my leg, up my one side of my body. And I literally couldn't move. And it, like the pain would last about three minutes before it eventually subsided. And I was able to kind of be mobile again, but I had to be very careful with how I was moving. And I was just reflecting on this thinking, imagine that was just momentarily, momentary paralysis, but imagine being paralysed for your whole life and then being someone that's having to move someone who is paralysed because every small movement, it, it could potentially hurt them. It's very difficult to move someone with limited mobility. We are not told too much about this paralysed man. But we are told that he was completely paralysed. He was unable to move. We're not even told the reason why he was paralysed. But he must have been poor because the word used to describe his mattress implies a poor man's palate. What we do know about this paralysed man is that he had some good friends. But these friends are also nameless These friends could have given up trying to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but after they were unsuccessful at getting him through the door because they were so many people, they didn't give up. Instead of becoming discouraged, they became even more determined to get their friend to Jesus. Imagine being one of those people in that room that day. You're pretty happy you got there early, and as you stand there, It gets more and more crowded in the room. There's no social distancing going on. More and more people are coming through the door. You start rubbing shoulders with them. And you start wondering whether you've made the right decision to even come because it's getting so uncomfortable. There's a lot of sweaty bodies and just shoulder to shoulder rubbing with strangers. It's not the most comfortable place to be. However, you're in the same room as Jesus, and he starts talking. All thoughts of leaving vanish. His words warm your heart with the wonderful news about the coming of his kingdom. Your heart rejoices as you hear what he has to say. He talks as if he personally experienced this and as if he personally knows the God he's talking about. You're hanging on to his every word when little bits of dust and tree bark drift in front of his face. This then becomes a shower and this becomes a shower and, and the shower becomes a storm of dirt and sticks and they're falling around the people in the, in the room. They're, they're falling in front of Jesus. Yeah. He isn't phased just yet. He continues speaking and everyone's eyes look up. You hear the sounds of digging and scraping. And then all of a sudden you see several pairs of hands busily digging their way through the clay, mud and branches And through the crack, through the hole, you see four faces. This odd rectangular object then comes down in front of Jesus and in front of the crowd who press together even more to make room for it. It must have been difficult for them to find even room. They squeeze closer and closer together, and you can see that it looks like a stretcher. It reaches to the ground where from your vantage point you're able to see the emaciated form of a man who doesn't move. But for those who were close enough to see, they could see that this man's eyes were fastened on Jesus. What will happen next? It certainly is a strange sight to behold. We read in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. The first words of Jesus to this man are indeed quite strange. You might expect him to heal, but that's not what he does. He looks intensely into the man's eyes and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. People gasp around you. Your mind's racing. What's happening? Now, I want you to imagine that you're one of his four friends. You've just dragged your helpless friend You've even made a hole in the roof. And after all this, after you've done, gone to all this effort, you hear Jesus say, Son, your sins are forgiven. What would you have been thinking if you were one of his friends? I would have been like, That's nice, but my friend's pretty heavy, and my hands are blistered and bleeding because I've just dug through the roof. You see, my paralytic friend, he wants to be healed. He wants to be healed from his paralysis. You'll notice in this verse, the word saw. And Jesus saw something in them. He saw their faith. You see, the Greek word used for saw in this passage is "ido," which means to understand. It's not so much that Jesus saw with his eyes what was happening. He didn't see some sort of tangible faith. But something was triggered inside of him that he understood their faith. These four men had such faith in Jesus, they knew that when they brought their paralyzed friend to him, he would be healed. The perceptive Jesus knew this man's greatest fears. Jesus did not merely see a helpless paralytic, but he saw a person with a burdened conscience that was causing him even more anguish than his physical disability. Jesus addressed the paralytic's deepest need, his need for his sins to be forgiven. What is your deepest need? The world faces some deep needs in 2020, and these are much greater than a lack of toilet paper, although in my neighborhood I think that problem's pretty much solved itself. I don't know what it is like in your neighborhood. Um, but we're faced with this coronavirus crisis. There's people getting sick. There's the potential of a collapsed healthcare system, unemployment soaring, depression and anxiety on the rise, economies on the brink of collapse, refugees in some of the world's poorest nations dying due to inadequate access to food and fresh water because of these restrictions. Because of the coronavirus crisis, uh, poverty in some of the world's most vulnerable populations is projected and anticipated to rise. We face some big world problems in 2020. But there is one problem that is bigger than all of these. In fact, all of these problems stem from this one root problem, and that is the problem of sin. We are all sinners, and there is not one person in the world that is not in need of forgiveness for forgiveness. This paralytic man was not asking for forgiveness verbally but he desired it emotionally. Before his physical healing, there needed to be spiritual healing. The first thing he needed to know was that his sins were forgiven. The one thing he wanted more than anything else, even more than to get healed physically, physically, was for his sins to be forgiven. Jesus spoke to his need and ultimately gave him what he desired. What is paralyzing you? What is paralyzing you? Is there some sin you can't seem to shake? It might not be obvious. It might be something in your mind. Thoughts you can't seem to win over. Temptations that just seem to keep and keep on coming your way. On the outside, you pretend you're really okay. It's not really that bad. You keep trying to convince yourself of this. Oh will you come before Jesus the same Jesus we find in this story, whom you can count on for forgiveness, for power, and for healing. Just like this man who was paralyzed by sin, every one of us needs forgiveness and healing, which Jesus provides freely to everyone. There were other well-dressed strangers in the room, but they didn't seem too happy about what they just witnessed. You see a few of their brows tightening their, their lips just, just, you know something's up with them by their cold body language. Their facial expressions and just their crossed arms say it all. They question in their hearts, and you can read this in verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? They appear to have missed altogether the significance of this amazing miracle. They had no heart for a human being in need. The Pharisees were accusing Jesus of blasphemy blasphemy is made of two words: Blackticos, which means hurtful and theme which means utterance or spreading rumors. They were accusing Jesus of bringing injury to God's name. But before they say anything out aloud verbally, Jesus turns to them and he responds. Instead of peacemaking words to calm these well-dressed strangers, he fixes his glance upon them and speaks these challenging words. I'll read them and you can look on from verse eight. Why do you reason in your hearts about these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. They're pretty strong words. You might be thinking, I might have said it a little bit more peacefully. But you see this man who was once lying helpless, he leaps to his feet, gathers his mattress or his pallet. He's beaming from ear to ear and he leaps through the door. The room erupts in celebration and those in the crowd exclaim, verse 12, we have seen extraordinary things today. Have you seen God do extraordinary things in your own life? The same Jesus that worked a miracle on behalf of this paralytic man is the same Jesus that works on behalf of you and I today. You look up and you notice that the four men who had dug the hole, they've disappeared. But you can hear the joyful praises to Jesus and the scrambling footsteps as they scramble off into the distance. This man had an encounter with Jesus. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, you don't leave the same. So just looking at the whole story, I want you to look, at your, look in your Bibles and just look at the whole story. Can you identify different groups of people in this story? You might not really know what that means, so I'm going to show you on the slide. There are five groups in this story. Which group do you identify with? Do you identify with Jesus, giving hope to those who are seeking it? Can you identify with the crowd, those who blocked access from others reaching Jesus? Can you identify with the four friends, those who did whatever they could to get their needy friend to Jesus? The paralytic man, someone who needed help because he couldn't help himself and he was dependent on others in order to receive healing. The scribes and the Pharisees, those who sought to find fault, critical of the ministry of grace. Who are you in this story? Which group do you identify with? The greatest sin which existed during Jesus' time was an intellectual ascent to the truth. All you needed was knowledge with no change of heart. We should be like those friends Bringing people to Jesus, saying, this is where you can find grace. And today, after reflecting on those groups and trying to figure out, which, which group do I fit into? If you find yourself part of a group you shouldn't belong to, ask Jesus to change your heart, because he can do that. Just like those friends who were so determined that they went through the roof, how determined are you to see other people come to Jesus? God wants us to be determined because this world needs hope now more than ever before. People are hungering and thirsting for something to satisfy the deepest longings of their heart. Last year I was catching up with one of my friends and I had been challenged by a sermon I was listening to earlier in the day. And it was talking about reaching out to people in your spheres of influence and as I was meeting up with this friend, the Holy Spirit was prompting me, like, talk to this friend about me. And I knew she had been, I knew she was open to these kind of these talks, spiritual talks. She wasn't, she doesn't necessarily call herself a Christian. Um, And I remember asking God, I was like, okay, I feel like I've been challenged, but if you're going to make this work, you have to A, give me the opportunity, B, give me the words to say, because I don't know what I'm going to say. And C, just give me the courage to be able to do it. So remember we caught up, we went out to get some pro yo and um towards the end of our meeting, I was asking I remember she just turned to me and it was kind of out of the blue and she's like, Rose what's up with this world? Like, what's going on with this world today? And in my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, God's answering my prayer right now. Like, what am I going to say? And so I was just praying at the moment. I'm like, okay, this is a, this is definitely a door opening. And, um, and so we just shared some things. I think this is when, uh, it was a time when, um, a terrorist event had just happened and, um, she was kind of thrown off. And so we just started sharing some things. And, um, is my friend a baptized member of the Seventh Day Adventist Church? Yet. <laughs> no, she's definitely not, but she's on a journey. And I think if we continue asking God for opportunities to share him in whatever, in whatever way we can, even just through small conversations with people in, within our spheres of influence, we just don't know that that could be the seed which could then sprout into something bigger. But you just have to ask God for the patience and for the courage and also pray for divine appointments to do that because he, people are looking for hope. And they trust you as their friends. So I just encourage you to ask God for those divine appointments because he will provide them. Let's not be like those in the crowd who simply take up room. Let's not be critical judges of those who are doing good. Let's ask God to make us courageous, to make us determined, to help those who are searching for hope and healing get to a place where they can see him. To be determined, determined enough to go through the roof, means that we are willing to take calculated risks in order to bring sin's paralytics to Jesus to be healed. To be someone that goes through the roof means that we are someone who, like those four friends, are willing to risk their reputation, their livelihood, their all, to bring a sinner to Jesus to be rescued and redeemed. Will you go through the roof? To conclude, I'm just going to read the lyrics of a song one of my friends wrote, Janine, and I just want you to listen to the powerful message that this song talks about, and it talks about bringing people to Jesus. I called you to go, but in fear you said no. You didn't think that you were ready to go. I begged you to speak, but you said I'm too weak. You forget that in me you are strong. I want you to know that you're ready to go. I set you apart right from the start. I need you to see that your strength comes from me. I have given you all that you need. Won't you go? Go where I send. I send you to strangers. I send you to friends. Won't you go? Go to the ends of the earth and bring my people home. I am the Lord who made heaven and earth. My heart aches for those who don't know what they're worth. Hear my commission. I choose to send you. If you are willing, then I'm calling you. To go to all nations to tell them of me. To rescue the captives, to rescue the helpless and set captives free. To carry the broken and bandage their wounds. To tell all my children that I'm coming soon. Won't you go? Go where I send. I send you to strangers, I send you to friends. Won't you go? Go to the ends of the earth and bring my people home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the blessing that it is to know you and to know that there's hope in this world where everything is just seems to be crumbling all around us and that you are the rock, you are the foundation on whom we can rely on are always, in all times, in all circumstances. And Lord, not everyone has that hope, so I just pray that as we are becoming a little bit more social, even in terms of our connectivity with checking up on people, Lord, give each and every one of us divine appointments to just share you in whatever way that can be, whether that be through a kind gesture, through an action, whether that be some words, Lord. Just give us divine appointments so people may come to know you And may we go through the roof to help those in need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.